right, Zechariah. And if you say, where is that one at? Just turn to Matthew and go back two books, not far from there. Zechariah. And once you find Zechariah, go back one book to the book of Haggai, Haggai, however you want to say it, back a couple pages. Just look at the first verse of chapter 1 of Haggai. There it says, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet. And so we see it was the sixth month of the second year of Darius the king. So... In Haggai. And then you go to Zechariah, look at chapter 1 in verse number 1. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah. So Haggai and Zechariah were prophesying and preaching at the exact same time. And so God used, and really when you look at it, you'll see that um, Haggai was in your face. Consider your ways. What are you doing? You wonder why things aren't going very well? You need to get things right. You need to do what God told you. Consider your ways. And then Zechariah, it's not so much in your face like Haggai. It's more like you get to see the face of God. And it's a softer approach. And Zechariah preaches a lot longer than what Haggai does. But they're both preaching at the same time. And one of the things that's a blessing, and it's, you, you realize this in your life too. God uses different people to deliver his message. And praise God that not everyone delivers the message the same way. You know, someone says, and I've seen it in the past, and I'm not, and you know, I want to preach like so-and-so. No, you preach the way God designed you to preach. God didn't call Brian Pattison to be any other pastor. He called Brian Pattison to just be Brian Pattison. And, you know, sometimes I'll hear preachers, and, you know, it was back in the day, back at Hiles Anderson where I was, Jack Hiles, you'd have people imitating his cough. Just to sound like, and I'm being serious. <coughs> and I still hear some preachers today that they still imitate that cough. And it's like, you're, Jack Hiles had a problem with his throat. That's why he coughed. You're just imitating a dead guy. You just be you, okay? And that's okay. And, you know, I'm glad that God, and God, I love how God uses it because sometimes someone could preach hard at me, and I get it. Sometimes I need someone to preach a little bit differently, and I get it that way. And I love how that works. There's no set way. And sometimes, you know, it's so funny. I look back, and some of the, just looking back, it's like you go to preaching class, and I'm like, this is how you do it. Like, it's not, it's not all the same. And it's all, and I'm just thankful that God uses people. It's a good thing. And we look here tonight at the book of Zechariah, and some have called Zechariah the revelation of the Old Testament. It's similar to what John wrote in the book of Revelation about the Lord with visions and end-time prophecies. It's all included here in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah, as I mentioned, he prophesied the same time as Haggai did. And as I mentioned before, after the children of Israel left the 70 years of captivity, they went back, Several 50,000 went back. They laid the foundation for the temple, and they were supposed to build the temple. 16 years, the temple lay desolate. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. And Haggai comes to preach to them about doing the work. One of the things that you see in the book of Zechariah, there's a lot of things about the return, the redemption, and God's restoration over time. Zechariah deals more, and you'll see, with Zerubbabel some. One of my favorite chapters, why don't you go there real quick. We'll go back to chapter 1 in a minute. Go to chapter number 4 of Zechariah. 
And remember we mentioned last week how, how Zerubbabel was important because Zerubbabel is in the line of Christ and he was David of David's seed and it just followed that line where it needed to be. But I love chapter number four and I love these verses here, verse number six. Then he answered and spake unto me saying, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit saith the Lord. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof. And we keep on reading through here how God's going to raise up, and Zerubbabel's going to do great things. But may I just remind us tonight, it's not by our might, it's not by our power, it's by his spirit. And as we approach our 50th church anniversary this Sunday, and if going forward, it's not going to be by our might. Our might will not get us anywhere. I think you realize that tonight. It's not our power. Our power is limited. On Sunday morning, we talked about the one whose power is unlimited. And when we're weak, that's when he's strong. And hey, the, the God was telling Zerubbabel, hey, it's not your might, it's not your power, but you're going to need my spirit to do what I've got for you to do. And Christian, it's the same today. It's not by might, it's not by power. We need the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is what we need tonight. What our country needs, what Christian needs, we need the power of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. That's what we're missing today. So many Christians are going through the motions. Why? Because we are not filled with the Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit. And as we're filled with the Spirit, it will flow into our lives, and God can do great things. God still wants to work today. Man, the people in Zechariah's day and in Haggai's day, they made every excuse not to move forward. It's not time to build God's house yet. It's just not time. We'll wait. We'll do it later. Now's the time to do the work of God. Who knows if we have another 50 years? Thought about that today. It would be so cool for me to live another 50 years and be able to see the church celebrate its 100th anniversary. I do not think I'll be pastoring at 85 because my brain messes up at 35. I don't know what it's going to be like at 85. If the Lord allowed it, I would love it. But, you know, by that time I start preaching, I'll be preaching the same message over and over again, telling the same stories, and people will just be sleeping. And, you know, you'll probably just put me in a room and I'll be preaching to the wall thing. I'm preaching to everybody by the time I'm 85. So I won't be as good as Margie back there. And so did she hear me back there? Oh, you heard me. Okay, good, good, good. We're 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 talking about you. We're talking about you before the service. So I was just making sure you're paying attention still. But I just love you just read that there and Zerubbabel, there were so many obstacles that they had. And God says, we, we look at that in verse number seven, who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You're as nothing. The obstacles are as nothing. Hey. COVID is as nothing. Not when we do it in our own strength. COVID and everything else is a big thing. When we do it in our own might, when we do it by his spirit, that's what we need today. And so that's the part of the message. That was extra tonight for you. And uh, just some powerful verses there. And these guys, Haggai and Zechariah, preaching at the same time. And God used both of them to motivate the people to finish building the temple. We look at chapter number one, and we look at verse number two. The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say thou unto them, thus saith the Lord of hosts, turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts. 
and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of, her, Lord of hosts, turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear nor hearken unto the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants and prophets, did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, Like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us, according to our ways and according to our doings, so he dealt with us. But the Lord is saying, I told them before what would happen. And what happened? Exactly what I said. And now, Jerusalem, Judah, it's time to turn to me. You turn to me, I will turn to you. You can do this. The Lord's motivating them here. Don't be like your fathers. You can be different. And we see so many things as we go through here. As you look at the book of Zechariah, and you look at all these different things, this study tonight would be more of a, it's more of a Bible study more than a preaching. Sometimes they go back and forth. But as we look at this tonight, I want to give you the breakdown of the book. And it's very simple, a two-part outline. Number one is this. There was prophecies for today. In chapters 1 through 6, the prophecies were given for Israel in that day. Things that would happen during that time. And you might be one to read through the book of Zechariah, and you read through there and you're thinking, what in the world is he talking about? What's this vision? What's this prophecy that's been given? And there's lots of them throughout. And sometimes it might be a little tough to get at first glance, but I gave you some, uh, I gave you in the notes there some of the prophecies there, and I gave you the interpretation of them to help you out a little bit with those things. But under, no, under number one, as we look at the book divided in two main parts, the first one is prophecies for today. We chapter one through chapter six. And remember, not for our day today, but for their day back then. That's what it's talking about. There are several that are given. We see, first of all, the first one we see is the horseman and the myrtle tree. It's the first prophecy that we see in verse 7 through verse number 18. And um, verse, I mean, sorry, verse 8 through verse 17. And so look at verse number 8. And I saw by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees which were in the bottom, and behind him there were red horses, speckled and white. Then said I, O my Lord, what are these? And the angel that talked with me said unto me, I will show thee what these be. Do you see how the setup there with Zechariah sounds similar to John interacting in the book of Revelation? There's a similar setup to it. And so we see the first prophecy, the first vision here was of a horseman and myrtle trees. And it was at the emblem of Israel. Like the myrtle tree, Israel would not be easily removed from their land. That was the whole point behind the horseman would come, but that myrtle tree would stay there. And that's what the point was. And that was talking about, you got to understand, there were going to be, not only did you have in those days, you had Darius, you had other world powers coming into power, which we'll mention in a minute because there's a prophecy about them in just a moment. But what you see happens is Rome is there, everything else, Israel was still there. And so it was, that's what it symbolized, that Israel wouldn't be easily removed from their land in that day. The second one is the four horns and the four carpenters. Now look down at verse number 18. 
Then lifted I up my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said unto the angel that talked with me, What be these? And he answered and said, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And the Lord showed me four carpenters. Then said I, What come these to do? And he spake, saying, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, so that no man did lift up his head. But these are come to fray them, to cast out the horns of the Gentiles, which lifted up their horn over the land of Judah to scatter it. The horsemen and the, and the myrtle tree, we talked about that one there, and that symbolized how Israel wouldn't be easily removed from their land in that day. The four horns and the four carpenters, the four horns were the world powers that would dominate Israel during that day. Now, some of you tonight, this might be deep stuff for a Wednesday night, but it's where we are. It's the book that we're in. The four horns represent the four world powers. Now, which one took out Israel to begin with, took out Judah? Babylon. And you had the Persians, right? The Medes and the Persians. And then you had Greece. You had Alexander the Great. And then you had Rome. The four horns there are those four world powers is what it's talking about there. And the carpenters were those God used to bring down each of those powers because of their mistreatment of Israel. That's the difference between the four horns and the four carpenters. Now, let's go even deeper. Here we go, chapter number two. We look at chapter number two, and the whole chapter talks about a man with a measuring line. Look at verse one, and I lift up mine eyes again and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. So a guy's got a tape measure. What's that tape measure got to do with anything? Well, for sake of time and not reading through the whole chapter here, the man with a tape measure symbolized that God would build Jerusalem and expand it past their walls. That's what this prophecy was about. It was about, you think about in David's day, Israel was about, or Jerusalem was 12 square miles. It's more than 45 square miles today. So you see how over time it just continued to grow. So that's the whole vision there, the prophecy about Jerusalem continuing to grow. The fourth one, we go to chapter number three. Is everyone with me? Anybody, if you're lost tonight, let me see your hand. Anyone lost? We're good? All right, here we go. Number four here. And these are not up on the screen. These are in your notes, though. You got all these right there in your notes. So number four, we look at chapter number three. And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. The Lord said unto Satan, the Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem, rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. He answered and spake unto those that stood before him, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. And I said, Let them set a fair mitre in his head, so that the fair mitre upon his head and clothe him with garments, and the angel stood by, and the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then shalt thou also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among those that stand by. And what Joshua the priest was representing was what God wanted to do, a picture of Israel, being cleansed and restored. Because the priest was in his filthy garments, 
and he was cleansed and given new garments, and it was a prophecy of what God was going to do with them. Number five. Still, still good? Okay, here we go. Number five, chapter number four. We see a golden candlestick and two olive trees. You see right there, verse chapter four, verse one, and the angel talked with me and said, and waked me as a man that is waking out of his sleep. And we see verse number two, and he said unto me, what seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick of all gold with a bowl upon the top of it, and the seven lamps thereon, the seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are the top thereof. And you'd read through chapter number four and see a lot of things about a golden candlestick and then two olive trees mentioned later on in the chapter. They represented, you think about this, the candlestick in the temple, you think it represented, it was to be filled with olive oil. You have the olive trees, you have the candlestick. So in this vision, what would happen was it was continuously supplied with oil automatically, and oil was a picture of the Holy Spirit working. So God's Spirit would be the power that would help Israel be a light bearer to all of those around them. Still okay? All right, here we go. Next, chapter number five. Then I turned, I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a flying roll, not a bread roll, okay? Some of you are thinking, wow, bread was flying around? No, a scroll is what this was, 15 feet by 30 feet, the exact measurement of the holy place in the temple is 15 by 30 feet. Did you know that? Maybe you didn't know that, maybe you did know that. But what it was showing was, it was showing that God's word would purify his people and his city. That's what the scroll represented. As I said, this was for that day. And here we go. Number seven. The rest of chapter number five, you see that verse number five, it talks about, then the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, lift up now thine eyes and see what this is that goeth forth. And I said, what is it? And he said, this is an ephod that goeth forth. He said, moreover, this is their resemblance throughout the earth. And behold, there was lifted up a talon of lead, and this is a woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephod. So you see a woman in the basket with a lead cover over her. And you say, what is this one? Well, keep on reading. Verse number 8. The Bible explains it. And he said, this is wickedness. The woman represents wickedness. Do I get an amen from the men? Isn't that what, that's what it says right there, right? The woman is represented as wickedness. This is what it says. That's the Bible. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at God. It was Eve that did eat the fruit first anyway. So this is wickedness. And he cast into the midst of the ephod, and he cast the weight of lead upon the mouth thereof. And you look at that, and the woman was wickedness. She was carried off by two women to where? Look at verse number 11. And he said unto me to build it a house in the land of Shinar. Shinar, where was Shinar? Anybody remember? Shinar, wasn't that where the palace was, where Nehemiah was? In Shinar. So it's in Babylon. So this woman was wickedness. She was carried off by two women to Shinar. And remember, the reminder to them is that they were to leave behind their wicked practices in Babylon and come back to Jerusalem and stop the wickedness. So when they were taken captive, you put the lid on wickedness, and the wickedness was supposed to stop. You come back to the land, you're supposed to be better than what you were when you got there. All right, are we still okay? All right, 
think, I think this a lot on a Wednesday night, but it's a good book. It's a good book. We're doing all right. All right, then we have number eight. We have the four chariots. Chapter six talks about that, and the Bible tells us there, and I turned and lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, there came four chariots from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of brass. And it talks about the first chariot were red horses, black horses, talks about all these different things. And these are God's angelic agents that were surrounding and protecting Israel. They were the protection of Israel. And that's what they represent there in chapter number 6. Very interesting that chapter 7 and chapter 8, it takes a break from the prophecies. You have chapter 1 through 6, you have the prophecies for that day. And then chapter 7 talks about some words about fasting and some comforting words for Israel moving forward. And then, and you'll notice something, it was two years later. Look at chapter 7, verse number 1. And it came to pass in the fourth year of King Darius. So when we started the book in chapter 1, it was in the second year, so we're two years later down the line. And, um, and what we see, God was talking to them about fasting. And one of the things that I see through here is God doesn't want just some empty religious observances by his people or external shows of religion. He wants us to do the right thing for the right person for the right reason. I'll repeat that. He wants to do the right thing for the right person for the right reason. He wants your heart, your hands, not just your hands. He wants both. He wants it all. Now to finish up the book and to add a little bit more confusion to what I've already given you tonight, number two. We see there were prophecies for tomorrow. Prophecies for tomorrow. First six chapters talk about the prophecies of that day, things that were going to take place after that time, right in that time. The end of the book is the prophecies for tomorrow, which would have to do with Christ and the rejection of him. It has to do with the end times. That's how the book closes out. And I'll give you some of those things so that you see that. Chapter number... Um, 9 of Zechariah, we go down to verse number um, 9 there. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon the colt, the foal of an ass. Talking about the triumphal entry. Israel, the Jews, they were not looking for someone to ride in on a donkey. They were looking for a king. They weren't looking. They didn't have their eyes right in that day. And chapter 9 through chapter number 11 talks about the fact that they rejected their king, and that would give us letter A. Do we have a letter A? We have the messianic prophecies. The messianic prophecies. They rejected the Messiah. They didn't want the Messiah. 500 years before Christ's birth to Mary, we see these prophecies given. We see how, and we think about how Israel was looking for a man that was of power and gorgeous array, and instead they got one that was going to come on a... And I love how Jesus fulfilled the prophecy. Can you imagine a 500-year-old prophecy fulfilled? Just amazing, and Sometimes I don't think we put enough stock into how powerful and how amazing the Bible is. That when it says something from 500 years before, 500 years later, we can't fathom 500 years. 
because I've lived 35 now. 500 is a long time. God's Word is true. It's an amazing book. And we see that. And then um, and we could read in Luke chapter 19, verse 30, it talks about how Jesus came riding in Jerusalem on the colts and how accurate that was. Chapter number 11 of Zechariah, go there. And we see it talks about prophecies of his rejection. You look at chapter 11, verse 12 and 13. It says, And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast down of the potter a goodly price that it was prized out of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Now, 30 pieces of silver. How many pieces of silver did Judas betray Jesus for? 30. And uh, Exodus 21 tells us that 30 pieces of silver was the price of a slave that had been gored by an ox. And then this is what the people, this is what, when you look at this, 30, can you believe 30 pieces of silver was all that Judas thought Jesus was worth? I think he's worth a lot more than that. We could talk more about that another time. We see the messianic prophecies, and then we're rounding the finish line here, okay? We see the millennial prophecies. The millennial prophecies. What you see happening is throughout all of this, from chapter 9 through 12, not only do you see how they would, when we talk about Christ coming in the messianic prophecies, we see how they rejected Jesus. But you also will see through chapter 9 through chapter 12 the millennial prophecies and how the Messiah will be accepted and how all of that works. And for sake of time, I'll just show you a couple things. Go to chapter 14. And uh, I don't think, is it uh, right, chapter 9 through 12? It should be chapter 12 through chapter 14, sorry. Chapter 12 through 14 should be. So in your notes there where it says millennial prophecies, the Messiah accepted, that's 12 through 14. My bad. So, we look at chapter number 14. Just look at a few things here real quick. It says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. What is the day of the Lord referring to there? It's referring to Christ's return. Look at verse number 2. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifted, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. You have the Lord's return, verse 1. In verse number 2, you have the battle of Armageddon, is what it's talking about there. If you skip down, you look at verse number 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as he fought in the day of battle. You have God wins. He wins. Aren't you glad to know he wins? I've read the back of the book, he wins. I've read the book of Zechariah, he wins. He wins everywhere. He wins. No one will challenge him. They'll challenge him, but they'll fail every time. Battle of Armageddon, God wins. Look at verse number 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And on the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it towards the south. Now go to, hold your place here, and go to Acts chapter number 1. 
Oh, we still got four minutes. We're doing great. Things are looking like I've been going for two hours now. Here we go. We're around, I think school's back in. I think that's what that is. And um, Acts 1, and look down at verse number 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. That's exactly what Zechariah 14, verse number 4 tells us. Now go back to Zechariah and look at verse chapter 14, look at verse number 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be in that day shall there be one Lord and his name one, the millennial reign of Christ. I can't wait for that day when he's in charge. I can't wait where we don't have to deal with governors and presidents and rulers and all this. I can't wait for King Jesus to be in charge. What a day that's going to be. And even the ones I like that are leaders even irritate me at times. Why? Because I irritate myself all the time. None of us are perfect. It will just be nice to have a righteous ruler that's righteous all the time. I can't wait for that day. Something that's very interesting, though. This was written 2,500 years ago, and we're still waiting. But do you know something tonight, church? Just as the prophecies about the Messiah being rejected were fulfilled earlier in the book, guess what tonight? The prophecies about the Messiah being accepted are going to happen. What are my takeaways tonight? Let me give you a couple. Through Zechariah and through this book, God was reminding the remnant, hey, I have a plan for you. You return to me, I'll return to you. Not only do I have a plan for you today, but I have solutions for tomorrow's problems. His name is Jesus. He'll fix all your problems. Because Israel, really, you've been trying for a long time, and you fail every time. Since, since the very beginning, you've tried and you've failed. But I've got a solution for tomorrow's problems. And not only that, but I'm in ultimate control of the future. We see that in this book. God's word is true. It can be trusted. Rest in God. Rest in his word. Rest in his spirit. Rest in his power. And rest in his plan. He's going to work it all out. Now, one of the things as we see as we look at them. Now, I don't know about you. And maybe, maybe all of you knew a lot of things, a lot of this stuff already. A lot of people miss out on great blessings by not studying the minor prophets. The minor prophets are so full of good stuff. Sometimes people think, why, why are the minor prophets even there? Because of this. Man, it's relevant today. And what an encouragement to my heart as I was studying this week to know that Jesus is coming. He's coming, and he wins, he wins, he wins, and sometimes it seems like evil is winning in this world, but evil doesn't win. 
he wins and he wins and he wins. And if it's said it before and it's come true, it's still going to happen. And praise God for that. The minor prophets are wonderful. There's so much hope in the midst of tough times. Because God is our hope. Another great book, and we see how awesome God is through this book. We'll watch a short video, and I forgot. That's what I was going to try and get done five minutes early for the video. I forgot. My bad. We'll watch the video, and then you can go home.
as you watch that, not all the prophecies that they said the way they were, I said it different than them. I'm probably right, they're wrong, and that's fine. And, uh, but no, I'm just teasing. I, I, I could be wrong for all I know. But um, I, think, I think I was pretty accurate on those things. But also, towards the end there, the reason why uh, you know, Israel would not be faithful to the covenants because they had not, the only way they're going to be faithful is through Jesus Christ. Because they have to have a new heart. One of the things that you see throughout, and that's, and one of the things, I like those videos. I don't agree 100% on everything that the videos say and agree word for word, but the videos do a great job of just giving you, it's like you had Zechariah and Haggai. They just give you maybe you got something there that will help you understand the book that we just talked about tonight. But the thing is, Israel, as you see throughout the whole time, all throughout the Old Testament, one of the th- main things you see is the fact that they, they could never get it right. And the reason they couldn't get it right was because they needed Jesus. They didn't realize that. And the thing is, they're going to need him. And that's why everything plays out the way it does and the way it does. Jesus is the only one who can give a new heart. And that new heart's the only thing that can make man help follow the, and keep the covenant because it's his righteousness on us. Because we can never do it. We can never obtain it on our own. And that's one of the themes you see throughout when God will tell you need to, if you want this, you better do this. Well, it's proving the fact that we don't do it. Israel didn't do it. And because they didn't do it, the only hope they had was what's coming in two more books as we get into the New Testament when it's all about Jesus. He was the hope. And without him, we would never get the promises. And the kingdom could never be fulfilled. Jesus had to do what he did. And, you know, some people say, well, where's Jesus in the Old Testament? He's everywhere. He is everywhere, wrapped around every. He's all throughout the entire book. Don't ever lose sight of that. Father, thank you for this evening.